This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff with our simulcast here on Instagram Live. I'm here for you, here for your pets, here for any questions you may have. Um, we are now, this is our second show in 2023, if you can believe it. And, um, and things are, you know, going pretty well so far. <laughs> Nothing bad has happened yet. So I'm hoping that that's going to be a trend that continues. So how to get a hold of me? Pretty easy. So first of all, you can always get me here live on Pet Life Radio. You just go to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, scroll to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. There's a link left for you there, and just click on the link, and you will be joining us here live, of course, on Instagram. Just say hello, wave. You can type your questions in. Unfortunately, I can't let you in the show to join, to share the, the screen, because then everybody else gets kind of cocked out. And um, once that they're stuck out, I can't read their questions, but you can always get a hold of me anytime. Just send me a message on Instagram or on Pet Life Radio, Dr. Jeff, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com, or here on Instagram, or even Dr. Jeff at DrJeff.com, and I will get back to you. So anyway, you can also, there's a toll-free number, 387-8882, and uh, let me see, I was, that number is, I don't, I don't need to give it out anymore, so it's really hard. I got to remember that number. But it's uh, 877-385-8882, 877-385-8882. So uh, I'm going to post it. I'm going to post it on my forehead right here. So it'll be right here on the screen. When I look at myself, I'll do it backwards. So I'll be able to see. So anyway, hello to everybody who is joining me here. And by the way, type in your questions. Um, love to see your questions. So um, just a quick update. I had, first of all, Mason's doing very well. I'm sure you've seen the videos, um, which is, um, we're looking for a, a permanent home for him, but uh, he's doing well in, in foster care and, uh, and enjoying him being a normal dog, finally. Yeah, we know how long he was been the way he was, so at least that's good news. And as I said, next week, I'm going to be going live. I leave on Friday morning very early for VMX, which is the North American Veterinary Conference in Orlando. Actually, it is, I just heard, it's the world's largest veterinary conference. It's huge. And it always you know, goes head to head with uh, next month in February is the Western Veterinary Conference. And uh, I think the only advantage this one has is because it's east on the East Coast, they get a lot of international veterinarians. I mean, a lot. But they're both great conferences. And um, oh, and the show, we're doing the show live from the floor on Sunday. It'll be the same time, 9 a.m. in the West, uh, noon in the East. It's going to be obviously, I'll be in the East, so it'll be noon for me. And um, my guest is Dr. Dana Varble. And we're talking a lot of things about sort of what's going on in veterinary medicine, especially over the last like 30 or 40 years. I mean, as long as I've been in practice, I see these changes. And it's really fascinating to see what I look back. Yeah, you know, I'm a pack rat. I'm, I'm, I'm often chided for it, but I'm a pack rat. And I actually still not only have my textbooks, I have my notes and my exams from when I was in vet school. <laughs> these are, some of these are over 40 years. I know, I'm nuts. But anyway, when I look at some of these things, I am amazed that I was warned as a kind of a pain in the behind, smartass uh, vet student that from one of my mentors, that she said, oh, don't be such a hotshot because I'll tell you now, 
every five years, half of what was gospel is now obsolete. And I, it's interesting. You don't believe it. Really? Five years? It's unbelievable how fast things change. And some of the simplest things we, we, like we did every day back then, it's like laughed at. Some of the medications, some, even the vaccine protocols, so many things have changed and they change so fast. So that's why I love these conferences because it gives the practicing veterinarian a chance to really stay up to date. And uh, you can test out by asking me some questions. I'm waving back to everybody. And in the meantime, I am going to share some things that I found out. Of course, perusing the veterinary news at the AVMA, American Vet Med Association Smart Brief, and the AHA, which is the American Animal Hospital Association News Stat, um, we get a lot of good information. So I wanted to share some things with you. And um, <clears throat> so first of all, of course, as we are in the new year, I still is considered new year, the American Vet Med Association came out with some top priority resolutions. And, and basically, they Preventive care for pets is their, their top priority. From lifestyle, you want to think of lifestyle-appropriate age vaccines, okay? Parasite control, routine laboratory work, managing weight, which is very important, which prevents often diabetes mellitus, especially in cats, and mobility issues in dogs, and dental care. So these are all the things that are very important that we should be concentrating on because if we can prevent a problem before it becomes a problem, then we're focusing more on prevention than treatment of disease. So the earlier we can determine a problem, the earlier that we can actually address an issue, whether it's behavioral, whether it's a weight issue, whether it's dental disease, and get you, the pet parent, on the right track, it will not only, of course, is it better for the pet, but it will save so much money in the long haul. And one of the things that we've noticed lately, not a good thing, it is very challenging and difficult to get into your veterinarians. So anything you can do to prevent problems by recognizing the early signs and doing things right, changing how we handle our pets, that can save you a lot of headache down the road. So that's very important. And this is also something we talk about and we talk about the holidays. And if you notice when we talked about gifts and, and what things we can do to prevent problems with our pets. I often mention, especially with cats, string foreign body. These are cats love it. You know, when you think about it, the cartoons even with a cat playing with the yarn, right? And the wrapping on paper, they're getting into garbages in the bathroom, getting a hold of dental floss. These are things that they ingest and it's called string foreign body. They like playing with elastic. They like chewing on plastic bags. I'm sure you've seen it. If I open up one of those crinkly something in the kitchen, and I have it on the counter, the cats will jump on the counter and they'll start, you know, they, I don't know what it is, but they love to do it. And it's pretty universal. They really enjoy it. So this is a sad story. A cat in South Carolina died after undergoing emergency surgery, check this out, to remove 38 elastic hair ties, 38. It ate 38 elastic hair ties. It was obviously causing blockages in the stomach. The poor cat couldn't eat. And um, unfortunately, the cat died post-surgery. It was just too sick, too weak. It didn't go recognized right away, which is a problem. I think at first it was treated for just, you know, just a normal vomiting episode. And um, very, very, very sad. So again, prevention. The bottom line is be really careful with your pets and, and make sure that look, I always say this with puppies too. We talk about it all the time. Look at before you leave a puppy alone in a room, you turn around and you look and say, is what is possibly, what he possibly can get a hold of? remotely possible. And if he does, 
then there, there's a problem. So that's exactly what the same thing we're talking about, is getting them to um, get to the problem before it becomes a problem. And uh, prevention is key. Uh, here we have a message here from, uh, okay, the only book B. My question is, what can vets offer to help with overpopulation of animals in states where animals are being killed because they do not have funding for spay or neutering? Great question. So, you know, again, there are certain states obviously have help from like the ASPCAs and um, a responsible pet parenting. Really what it comes down to is watching your pets. And, you know, there are many programs. Now, I, I can't say they have in every state, but there are many programs where they offer free spay neuter. Okay. We have in California, here in Los Angeles, there are subsidized. I think you can get a spay for like $35 or $70. Uh, there's a van going around that's going to be reinstituted. My friend, Joey Herrick, who owns Lucy's, they're having a, a huge Lucy's van that's going to dri drive around town and they offer free spaying and neutering. A lot of the hospitals will offer major discounts working with rescues or shelter pets. One of the sister hospitals from the hospital that I work at, it's called Shelter Vet, also offers very low cost spay neuter and they are on contract by the city of Los Angeles. And so they're subsidized. So it is really, really sad. Um, adopting more pets, <laughs> if you can. I mean, you know, there are interesting, yeah, which they didn't have back when I graduated. There are tracks now. You know, I went small animal. Yeah, you, you have a zoo animal. You have, you know, large food, equine, exotics. Now they have tracks for shelter vet. And there, a lot of veterinarians really want to get into the shelter community and help these animals. And a lot of shelters now and city ordinances are providing funds to hire a veterinarian to be a vet for a particular shelter. And they may do, you know, they may not just do just one, but they may go to a few of them. So this is where we need. And this is also talking to your, your regulators, your state regulators or your city or your, you know, whatever office would through animal Department of Animal Regulation, find out what you can do as a concerned pet lover, pet parent to help these animals set up GoFundMe pages. I mean, there are many things that can be done, but it is definitely, unfortunately, an uphill battle. But great question, and thank you so much. I'm waving as many of you as I can. And any more questions, bring them, bring them, bring them. Anyone go out and offer a vet care for the homeless, a mobile clinic? Ah, very along the same line. So thank you also from the only Brooklyn. Yes, there are, again, certain cities and the mobile clinics are doing that. We're seeing more and more of them. You know, there is a different focus now, clearly, in veterinary medicine. And there are a number of organizations that are, are providing this kind of free care for homeless pets. Again, you need to go online. You need to check through your local shelters. Talk to some of the rescue groups and find out what they are doing. You know, interestingly, when it comes to the rescue groups, their biggest limiting factor is space, not the services they can provide. It's the space. And they're running out of foster homes. And many of them I work with have the ability to house a certain number of animals. They have you know, maybe 20, 30 runs or cages. But unfortunately, the numbers they're working with are much greater. And many of them that I talk to will say, Jeff, if you can, we'll take care of the dog, but you need to help us find someone who could foster it. So if you know anybody who is currently dogless, who does not want to yet make a commitment to adopt another dog permanently, but wouldn't mind fostering, it's a great way to sort of, you know, provide some care. You get that feel good feeling, right, by providing a home for an animal that needs a home. And yet you don't have to have the same commitment. 
The bills are covered by the rescue. So it's a great sort of meeting in the middle um, situation where uh, it's a win-win-win for everybody, especially, obviously, for the pet. Okay. Ah, yes, people can sign up to be fosters. And that, and you can do this at your local, with your local rescues. The rescues I work with would love, absolutely love to have someone there to foster. So that's great. Uh, there we go. So this is in Camarillo. 200 dogs that need forever homes. There are no more room. So if anyone is interested in adopting, they're waiting and waiving the fee this weekend. So again, there's no excuse. If you can provide a home, temporary, permanent, obviously we want to go for the permanent, but this is the problem we're having. And a lot of these shelters are doing their best. And I have to tell you, you know, I, I've heard it and I've seen interviews with shelter rescue personnel, mostly shelters that are in kill shelters. And don't think it doesn't pain them when they have to put these animals to sleep. It does. It really does. And, you know, the, you get tears in their eyes when they talk about it. They want to put these animals to sleep, but there's no room and there's no funding. And this is what they have to do. So this really, really boils down to, from the very beginning, responsible pet parenting, getting your animals spayed or neutered, the shelters, not releasing them until they are spayed and neutered, which is what they're doing now. It used to be you got a voucher for whatever it was, 75, 100 bucks. You, you paid, prepaid it. So of course they think, well, if you already prepaid it, you're going to get it done. No, they never didn't work. So what they did was now you come in, you adopt your dog, you pay your fees for the adoption, and they say, okay, come back tomorrow or the next day and your dog will be ready. Why? Because they're going to spay and neuter it now. And that's the best way to do it. If you don't have a space to adopt an animal, but you still want to help, make a donation. The more money these shelters have, they can pay these veterinarians that work with shelters to do the space and neuters. So that would be equally, equally as important is if you can somehow help with uh, cash, even food and supplies, but cash is king. And that will help them pay the services of the veterinarians that are willing and are able to provide very low cost spate neuters um, care. So that's great. As we're going on here, oh, this is this is great. Think about this. Show of hands, how many have cat owners out there? Right? I'm a cat parent, got five of them. And I, I read this and I started laughing because I, I really think it's true. It says that cats all right, may perceive eye contact from unfamiliar people as threatening. They don't like to see eye contact, all right? And are more likely to gravitate to people who ignore them. And so how many times does that happen? You're someone, someone comes over the house, especially someone who doesn't like cats. And uh, it's a great story. But my dad was the consummate cat hater. We were never allowed to have cats. Uh, he was also maybe allergic. I, as a kid, was allergic to cats as well. But he was not a cat guy. Uh, we had dogs, always had dogs, but cats were out of the question. So he's at a friend's house. This is after he had to put one of his dogs to sleep and um, is sitting in a, his friend's house, apartment, sitting on a couch. All of a sudden, this cat comes running over to my dad and jumping on his lap. My dad literally takes the cat and tosses him onto the floor. The cat comes right back and my dad tosses him on the floor again. I get out of here. And then the cat comes back again and starts playing with my dad's hands. And my dad starts petting him. And this cat is starting to like purr. So he says to a friend, what is this? And the friend goes, what is what? He goes, what is this cat? It's a Burmese. So I get a call one day from my dad. And um, it was the weirdest call. He says, what are some good cat breeds? Well, I know I, I, I had the Oriental short hairs. I got Siamese are great. My, my ragdoll was great. Uh, Burmese are great. He goes, yeah, but Burmese are good. I go, Burmese are great cats. He goes, get me one. In fact, get me two. 
what? I have to look at the phone. Wait a second. Is this, is this the real my dad? <laughs> you want a cat? So it is so funny that the cat gravitated to someone who <laughs> had no desire to even play with them. P.S. My dad got two, two cats. They lived a long time. And uh, anyway, that was pretty funny. So it is true. So um, if you want, if you, I guess if you want a strange cat to come to you, ignore him and maybe he'll come to you. Don't look him in the eye. That's a threat. All right, let's uh, break here for a quick word from our sponsors. I'm going to mute us here on Pet Life Radio. I'll stay on here to uh, talk to you on here on Instagram. And But don't go away. Either way, and we'll be right back. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Okay, so um, while we were on break, we had a couple good questions come up, and I want to share both with the whole audience because it's really good questions. Number one, we're talking about ear cleaning. Uh, Someone was using a a vinegar and water mixture. There are so many online recommendations. Epsom salt, I've heard. Vinegar. And the reason that this works, by the way, is that it changes the pH. And usually when dogs get ear infections, the primary culprit is usually malassezia, which is a yeast. Now, certainly there's pseudomonas. There are different bacteria that dogs can get in ears as well. But usually there's a balance. What keeps the ears clean typically is that fine balance between the bacteria and the yeast. They kind of keep each other in check. When that balance becomes an imbalance, usually it's the yeast, malassezia, that wins. And then we get that dark, greasy, waxy. So that's why some of these, these treatments help. So question is, what can I use to clean my dog's ears? I feel like those pads are not enough. I agree. Pads aren't enough. You need to get down in there. So you need to look, because of the combo of bacteria and yeast, looking for an ear flush, an ear wash, an ear irrigant that is antifungal and antibacterial. And you really want to get down there and massage the ear canal very, very well. And no, someone may need to show you the anatomy of the ear at first, like your veterinarian or veterinary technician, to show you how to really get that canal massage. So many times I just see people massaging the skin just to the lateral aspect of the ear canal, but they're not getting the canal itself. You need to wrap, get your thumb behind. You'll see a, you'll feel a tube, a cartilaginous tube. That's what you want to massage with your thumb and your index fingers and maybe a thumb and your middle finger and really massage it. First of all, with the liquid in there, it loosens up a lot of that debris. And then when you, I tell people back up or maybe give a good blow in the dog's ear and that'll induce a head shake. When they shake, a lot of that crud will just literally pour out. Then you can take a cotton swab carefully. I usually tell people, depending on the size of the dog, hold it about anywhere from three quarters of an inch to an inch and a half away from the tip. That way, your thumb and your index finger will stop it from going any deeper than that. And you can just clean out any excess wax. If the ears are bad, do two or three rinses with the, and really massage and massage and let them shake, start all over again. You will get rid of a lot of that debris. And then use the pads just for the outside of your nooks and crannies. You can also use a cotton swab for the nooks and crannies. Now, if the problems persist despite thorough cleaning, then it's time for some medication as well. And for that, you need to see your veterinarian. 
And there's also some over-the-counter products that I like in a pinch until you get to see your vet. I like Zymox. I like Zymox HC, which is hydrocortisone. But don't do it all home care. If you're having a persistent problem, see your veterinarian. All right, next question. My dog loves going on pack hikes. I've read so many negative comments about pack walks. What do I think? I think it really depends on the dog. I agree with you. I think they're great. If you have really socialized dogs that do well together, then it's fine. You have to make sure, and whoever's leading these pack hikes has to make sure that the dogs are basically very well socialized, not only socialized, period, but socialized to each other. Why? When we hear problems, it's because of some external force, whether it's another animal on a hike and they see a a wild animal, a rodent, a rabbit. And what happens is something called displaced aggression. So you have all these dogs, it's a pack. And this happens to my dogs too, by the way. And my dogs live together. They sleep together. They eat together. And when they see something like a skunk or a raccoon, two of them, they're getting so worked up in trying to get to that animal that then they turn on each other. That's called displaced aggression. It's because they're so hyped up. So you want to make sure that the pack leader is really well-trained in how to get their attention, whistle, break them up. They don't want to go eat each other, but they're so worked up, they start going at each other. That's why also when we hear these uh, pack of wild dogs and then they attack somebody and then the screaming and craziness, they all come in for the attack. Only one started it typically, but then they all join in. That's a pack mentality. So when they all want to go after this one animal because they start together and then they then start going at each other. So I am still a fan, but do know there is a risk of a problem. And I've, I've sutured up the problems where dogs that play together on a regular basis start attacking each other during one of these pack hikes. And it could be because of a piece of food, a bone, who knows, but it can happen. But would I tell you not to do it? No. I mean, for every dog that I say, don't do it. I guarantee I would hear 10 people coming and say, I've been doing it for, for years and everything is fine. And I agree, probably is fine. But you know, it's like getting in a car, you know, how many accidents do you hear about on a daily basis? Well, you get in your car that morning, you're not expecting you to be one of those accidents, but you still get in the car. So if you were so careful that you'd never want that to happen to you, you wouldn't get in your car, you wouldn't drive. So yes, it can happen. There are some issues, but I would not say don't do pack hikes because I have too many of my clients, too many people I know. My dogs, three of them go on a, uh, you know, one of those pack walks. And the reason why the two that don't, don't is because I don't trust them to behave themselves. So uh, I don't let them. My Frenchie and my big yellow lab. No, I got to be the one to walk them. So, but I, I mean, look, they're the most socialized dogs with each other. <laughs> they're so cute. But, uh, you know, when it comes to other animals, they're sometimes a little misbehaved. All right. Before we break, this was good. As I'm speaking about my yellow lab, who is really the sweetest dog, you got to hear this. So the subject is smart dogs. A recent study showed no breed differences in short-term memory or logical reasoning, okay? They were studying 13 breeds and some crossbreeds as well in this study. But there were differences in breeds' social cognition and inhibitory control, all right, and spatial problems. So here's one. Border collies scored at or near the top, there's no secret, at or near the top in all of these categories. And these are all measuring intelligence. Now, while Labradors 
had the lowest solving, right? And inhibitory control scores. So uh, as, I, as I read that, I had to laugh because I, I mean, that as we say all the time, they're so sweet, they'll eat whatever, but inhibitory control, not a chance, not a chance. Can he hold back? And um, the problem solving, I don't know. Now, it is true about the border collies, the Australian shepherds, we, a lot of the herding dogs are really, really smart. Not only are they great frisbee dogs, and they're obviously great working dogs, but man, they are really, really smart. Um, I, I know many of you have probably heard about Chaser. That was a dog that had a vocabulary of over one, a border collie, over 1,000 words. And he used to go on TV. Fascinating, fascinating dog. So uh, anyway, all right. So that's all we have time for today. Once again, thank you for joining me. Next week, we'll be live from the exhibit floor, I think. So it will definitely be live whether it's going to be in the studio, uh, the VMX studio or the VMX exhibit floor. I like it, the exhibit hall floor, because it's so much action. You just get to see hundreds and hundreds, thousands, really. They usually get 17, 18,000 people there between the veterinarians and the exhibitors, the faculty, the staff, the speakers. There's so much energy. And now this is the second year full steam ahead since, you know, after COVID. And last year was great. And I anticipate this year is going to be great as well. So, I will see you next week live on the floor. Any questions during the week, please send them to me. Love to talk about them. We're going to be talking about some amazing changes, advances in veterinary medicine. And as pet parents who are here right with me because you have animals most likely and you love them, uh, you'll find some of these things, hopefully many of these things, interesting as well. So have a great week, everybody. I'm off early, early, early Friday morning. and uh, But uh, Sunday will be live from Orlando, Florida at VMX, formerly the North American veterinary conference have a great week and uh, thanks again for joining me here on pet life radio and on instagram live and uh see you next week. let's talk pets every week on demand only on petliferadio.com